Good morning, everybody. Hope I'm finding the middle of a fantastic day. And today we are continuing on in our series, as you can tell from the title, about our series through the Bible. We're covering a book of the Bible each week. And this week we are shifting gears. We're going from the first five books of the Bible, which is known, you guys all know by now, as the Pentateuch, the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And now we're shifting into the next section of books in the Bible. And our first new section is the books of history. And the first book in that section is the book Joshua, as we are going in order. And so we are talking about Joshua today. So let's go ahead and jump into it. The author of the book of Joshua is, of course, Joshua. Joshua was Moses' minister. You can read about Joshua throughout the books of Moses. Uh, you can also uh, see the story where Moses changes his name from Oshua to Joshua. Uh, his name changes from salvation to Jehovah is salvation. It's very interesting, that. Uh, the date... <laughs> excuse me, of this book is 1404 to 1390 BC. And for those of you who don't know, BC works backwards than AD, right? Like each new year, the number gets larger, right? We go from 2020 to 2021 uh, this past week. And so what we have, sorry, I'm transitioning here. What we have is in BC is a little different. In BC, it goes from the further back in time it is the higher the number is and as time goes on that number gets smaller reason for that is <clears throat> bc stands for before christ and ad stands for a latin phrase anno domini which means the year of our lord so the birth of jesus is actually the reference point for all of history and 1404 to 1390 bc is going towards the birth of christ that's how many years before the birth of Christ, the book of Joshua was written. Uh, this takes place in three periods of time that's uh, being covered. Uh, the first is the one month at Jordan, and what that means is the Jordan River. They come out of the wilderness, and they come right up to the Jordan River before they cross into the Promised Land, and they spend one month at the Jordan River preparing to cross over. And say, what on earth could they have been doing for that long at the Jordan River? You will see. Uh, so that is the first bit. Uh, the second bit is the seven years at Canaan. And the third bit is the eight years on either side of Jordan. And so that is the three periods of history uh, or time that's covered uh, during the writing of this book. The theme of the book of Joshua is possessing your possessors. Uh, Egypt, as we've said before, is a picture of the world. The Red Sea is a type of uh, death to self. Uh, for me to uh, live as Christ and to die as gain. A sort of dying of the old man and being born again. A new creature in Christ, as the New Testament talks about. The wilderness is a period of carnality and defeat, uh, but it could also be a period of sort of new Christianity. You've just been spiritually born, and there's a transitional phase. There's a time 
period where you're learning to get the Egypt out of you, right? You're getting the world out of you, and you're learning what it means to be a Christian. So many times when Jesus said, if you do this, you do this, you cannot be my disciple, right? What's he mean? Well, he means we should be different. We should smell different, not literally smell different, but we should be completely different creatures than the rest of the world. Not in an unrelatable way, but we should follow a set of rules that the rest of the world doesn't. Why? Because we're held to a higher standard. We're Christians. And Christians should live in such a way that we've put the rest of the world and their sinful ways behind us. And we live in such a way that we're happy and content to live in the peace and joy of Christ. Uh, so that is what the wilderness represents, is that period of getting the world out of us and getting Christ into us. The Jordan River... Uh, is a type of stepping into sort of the victorious Christian life. And uh, Canaan is a type of spiritual victory. Uh, a lot of people think of Canaan as heaven. doesn't really fit real well because in Canaan you still have 13 warring nations that have to be battled. And there are no more wars in heaven. So it's more like living this life in a victorious Christian way. And so that's the theme of the book of Joshua, sort of possessing your possessors. Right? They're trying to possess you, they possess the land, but God has given you this land. And so you go in and you claim it. You know, these people that are sort of oppressing you, that are holding you down, that are uh, possessing you, you end up possessing them. You end up shaking off the tyranny of the devil. You end up shaking off the tyranny of sin. You know, you begin to give yourself spiritual liberty in the Lord Jesus Christ possessing your possessors. So we're going to look at the outline of the book of Joshua real quick. Uh, we see uh, chapters 1 through 12, and we're going to dig in a little deeper here in a second. But in chapters 1 through 12, we see the land is entered by God's children, by Joshua and the Israelites. Uh, in chapter 1, we see the commission and the command of of Joshua. This is where God officially comes to Joshua and he says, okay, now you're it. Now you're the leader. Uh, you will go just as Moses went, but I will be with you just like I was with Moses. He tells him, don't be afraid. You just follow my rules. You follow my laws and I will help you get through this thing on the other side very, very well. And so that's the commission and command of Joshua in chapter one there. You can Read in greater detail for yourself, and I guarantee you, you'll find some inspiration for your own life as well. Uh, Joshua 2 is uh, the contact of the spies with Rahab. So Joshua sends spies to Jericho to sort of spy out the land. And uh, when he sends the spies there, they're met by a harlot, a prostitute, who lives on the city walls and uh, has her... Uh, well, let's call them, um, the word has officially left my brain space. Don't you hate it when that happens? Um, shoot. Customers. Yeah. Well, let's call them customers, and she brings them in there and um, performs the deeds that she's paid for. And uh, they come into the city, and the last person you think you would expect to help these men, these men of God, that are there because God sent them, would be a harlot, you know, prostitute. But she's the one that helps them. She brings them up to her place, you know. It's a whole, I mean, you know what? Most people 
would take that and say, oh, they shouldn't have done that, right? What about their testimonies, right? They went into a harlot's house. Ooh, their testimony. Ooh. Well, it's more important to do God's will than it is to worry about your reputation. The word testimony, I'm doing air quotes, but you can't see that because this is a podcast. Testimony is just a fancy word nowadays for your reputation as a Christian. Oh, you don't want Miss you know, Busybody to think that you were doing something you shouldn't have been doing, so we're protecting our quote-unquote testimony. Right? Well, all that means your testimony isn't affected by what you know Miss Busybody thinks of you at church. Your testimony is just your story of how you got saved, how the Lord saved you from your sins. You tell that to people, it's not affected by the fact that you're still a human being that has errors. And it's not affected by the fact that you didn't commit a sin. It just looks like you did. Right? So your testimony is not affected by the, the, the seeming things that you may or may not have done in life. You live your life in such a way to please the Lord. And those you know, busybodies, those church politics people, now we'll let the Lord sort them out when we get to heaven. Right? You just do the right thing, and you're right thing, just like they did. They went up there, not for nefarious reasons, not for sensual reasons, but because they were hiding and they were trying to do God's will. It ended up being the right thing, didn't it? it? Ended up being that she saved them. She used a lie to do it. Brother Matthew, lying lips are an abomination unto the Lord. Well, yes, they are, but lying lips indicate a habitual lying. A habit of lying. That's how I solve my problems. I go to the lie. If I can't, if I'm absolutely sure lying won't work, then I'll try the truth. That that is what lying lips are. Telling a lie, if it's the last possible course of action, is not a sin. Uh, case in point, not just Rahab, but also look in uh, the book of Esther, and how Esther lied to the king uh, for long periods of time and withheld the truth, but only when it was absolutely necessary, and she was sure it was absolutely necessary. So a couple of moral dilemmas that are solved here with the story of Rahab. Uh, we see in chapter 3 is the crossing of the Jordan River. Uh, there's a lot that entails with the crossing of the Jordan River. They had to perform sacrifices. They had to be uh, circumcised. They had to reinstate some of the feasts that they had lost and forgotten in the wilderness. Uh, and in the time of uh, in Egypt, and they had to be reminded of these things that they were supposed to be doing that they had forgotten to do. So, and also this is where uh, the manna stops. This is where uh, all of these things that had been just popping up magically for them in the forest in the wilderness, all of a sudden it stops here at the crossing of the Jordan River because they're about to inherit the promised land. Uh, chapter four is the construction of two memorials. And that is, uh, each man takes a rock and, and they set it up in the river or near the river, and uh, it makes two pillars, right? And uh, these two pillars, they go back and, and they show their children one day was the idea. They would show them these memorials and they would say, you know, gee, Dad, what are those memorials? And they say, well, son, this is where God saved his people, uh, brought them through the promised land, you know, parted the Jordan River here for us, just like he did the Red Sea. And we walked right across on dry ground. Wow, God's so amazing, isn't he, Dad? Yes, son, he is. But you know what? This never happened. They never showed their kids these memorials. And as a result, there grew up an entire generation that did not know the Lord. You see that in the book of Judges. How is it that if they did this, if they brought them to these memorials, if they showed them these things, a whole generation, not just a few, but a whole generation could grow up not knowing the Lord? 
because these men were more interested in their own personal gain and benefit than they were in including the next generation. Does this sound at all familiar to anybody? Ring in any bells? Anybody who may come across this as a part of the Independent Baptist Fellowship International? Maybe listen to this bit, because this is you. Uh, this is every uh, old man who's decided that the best time of life was in the 1950s when, you know, when white men were at their most powerful, and they decided that they're going to exclude all these younger guys and all these guys that don't fit their mold, and a whole generation passed you up, and all of a sudden you're like, well, what happened? Well, what happened is you were more interested in the business of the church than you were in the business of the Lord. Should be the same. But if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. This is happening before our very eyes right now. We are losing several generations because of greedy old men who have decided to exclude people who wouldn't fit their bottom line. And God will get you for that. You'll answer to the Lord for that one day. So the, the, the two memorials, they were overlooked, and that's the real tragedy, and they're overlooked today, too. Bring your kids to the memorials. Show them where God showed up in your life. Just Joshua 4. Joshua 5 is uh, conditioned for conquest, so they're preparing to uh, conquer the promised land and take what God has promised for them. You know, sometimes obtaining God's promises, it takes a little bit of effort. You know, it takes a little bit of a struggle, a fight. But if you're willing to fight for those things that God wants to bless you with, then you'll have blessings untold. Uh, chapter 6 through 8 is the center of the land is attacked. Chapter 6 is the conquest of Jericho. And chapter 7 and 8 are the conquest of Ai. Uh, now, the way it works out is strategically the way God led them is that they sort of split the promised land in half. They separated the north from the south, starting with Jericho. When the walls came tumbling down in Jericho, that was a major victory for them. Because that was sort of the, the uniting land for those Canaanites. They dwelt in the land... And they were united north and south through Jericho. When the walls of Jericho fell, that was a huge deal. Um, anybody familiar with uh, sort of the, that show, The Last Airbender? Remember that sh that city, the Ba Sing Se, the big walls that protected that city in that show? Uh, when they broke in on that section and were invaded... That was a big deal in the show. Well, this is an even bigger deal than that. Uh, this was basically their version of that, except this is reality. The conquest of Jericho was uh, a major victory for Israel. It's a very important win. Not just strategically, like we're talking about now, but also spiritually. This was their first win, and it was kind of a big one. Uh, so they, they come off of this win, and they're all hyped up and excited, and they just run right into AI. Man, they don't even stop, take their time, slow down, ask any questions, or pray. They just run right headlong into AI, and they lose. In chapter 7, they lose the battle of AI. Right after winning Jericho, they lose AI. They go back, and jo uh, Joshua says, Lord, what happened? And they're upset, and they're mourning. All these, these their friends have died in battle. And Joshua says, well, somebody took an accursed thing from Jericho. I said, don't touch these things, or these things are for the temple or the tabernacle when it's put up. 
and somebody took something they weren't supposed to. And you didn't come check with me first, Joshua, like I told you to all the way back in chapter one. And that's why you lost. And so they deal with the accursed thing. They, they uh, remove that family and all of those things from them. And uh, they go back in chapter eight and they win the battle of AI. Uh, which brings us to the conclusion of the center of the land being attacked and brings us to the campaign in the south of the land of Canaan, which is Joshua chapters 9 and 10. Uh, the compact with the Gibeonites, and you can see Joshua sort of, he's still trying to, he's still rushing into, you know, he's still a little overexcited, and the Lord's dealing with him with these things, but you can see that story sort of unfolding. Joshua learns an important lesson in chapter 9. And then chapter 10 is the conquering of the five kings of the Amorites. So you literally have five kingdoms, right, uniting, coming together uh, to battle just Israel, right? And they come in to battle Israel, and they decide if we all come together as one united group, all five kingdoms come together to fight Israel, we can snuff them out here before they gain too much ground. And so they go and they battle Israel. Well, the problem with battling Israel is they battle with the power of God on their side. And so uh, throughout the middle of the battle, they start to lose the sunlight. And God and Joseph prays to God, and God holds the sun still in the sky. Folks, I can't even begin to explain to you the physics of that. Because if the sun stood still in the sky, that means the sun isn't technically sitting still. That means we stood still you know, in our rotation around the earth for a little bit. And that means that we should have just started floating off into space as a whole. That life on this planet should have basically ceased to exist if this earth stopped spinning. So how this happened, I don't know. But all I can tell you is the man who spoke it, the man, but the, the one that spoke it all into existence has the power to make it work. They're not actual laws, right? They're just... Physics works the way it does because that's what God told it to do. He told it to work differently for a little while, evidently in Joshua 10, so it did. Uh, Brother Stewart uh, was one of my favorite teachers in Bible college. He used to tell us, if you can believe Genesis 1-1, you can believe everything else. And so while I can't quite wrap my head around this, and hopefully this will be one of those mysteries that we solve in heaven one day, I do believe it, even though I don't fully comprehend it. And hopefully you do too. So it's the, the miracle of the sun standing still in the sky, but also, uh, you know, as they're beginning to scatter upon rocks and everything, the, these five mighty kings hide like little girls in a cave, and Joshua covers the cave with a rock so they can't get out. God literally sends fire and brimstone down on the rest of these people and destroys the rest of these uh, soldiers for them. Then they unseal the cave, bring out the five kings, and have them killed in quite a glorious fashion. It's quite a story. I recommend you go read it. It's an amazing thing. Uh, which then brings us to the campaign in the north, uh, the conclusion of Joshua's leadership in war in Joshua chapter 11. All of these battles, Napoleon Bonaparte went and read and got his strategies from the first 11 chapters of the book of Joshua. Uh, so these are amazing things. There's a lot of strategy you can learn from this. There's a lot of history you can learn from this, even some physics you can, you know, maybe try to figure out. But don't overlook all the spiritual things to gain from this too. All of this was only possible because they had faith in God. The kind of faith that the generation before them didn't show. The kind of faith that they needed at Kadesh Barnea and failed to display. They had it here, they had it now, and because of their faith in God, 
they were victorious. If you try to go forward without faith in God, you won't be victorious, at least not in the way you should be. You might be technically successful, your bank account might grow, but if you're doing it without God, it's a hollow victory. It's not one you can enjoy, and it's not one that's going to bring you happiness. But when you have a victory with the Lord like they had here in Joshua, man, that's a lasting happiness. It may take longer than you want it to, but you'll get there. Just hang in there. And then we come to, uh, that was all number one, the land entered. Number two, um, or I'm sorry, in Joshua 12, we see the conquered kings listed. And then that brings us to number two, which is the land divided, right? Um, and in the land divided, that's chapters 13 through 22. Uh, chapter 13 is the command of Joshua being terminated, the confirmation of the land to the two and a half tribes. Uh, then we see in chapter 14 is Caleb, because you remember there were two spies uh, in the previous books. Uh, one was Joshua and one was Caleb, and those were the two good spies. Uh, the other 10 gave the, the negative report and said, we can't do this, we shouldn't go. There's Joshua and Caleb who said, yes, we can. If we go in faith, God will give us the victory. And Joshua was blessed, and we can see that throughout this campaign. But also Caleb, who was the other spy, who, like Joshua, said, yes, let's have faith in God. He was blessed for that. Uh, for that moment, he tried to convince them to have faith in the Lord. And in chapter 14, we're seeing that he is given his mountain. And it's a wonderful moment, uh, showing how God blesses those that are faithful to him. We see the consignment of the land of the tribes of Israel in chapters 15 through 19. That's where it gets a little more technical. Uh, these cities and these lands go to this tribe, and these cities and these lands go to that tribe. Uh, it's, it's all very important, uh, the way they split it up. And you might think it's a little dry, but it parallels to things we see later on, even in the New Testament. We talked about some of that a little bit in some of the Christmas prophecies in Bethlehem and uh, the fact that there's more than one Bethlehem and that sort of a thing. So back here in Joshua 15 through 19, that's where we see a lot of that unfold, and it does become quite important. Uh, the cities of refuge are in Joshua chapter 20, and uh, we've seen them uh, in the book of Numbers, I believe it was, the cities of refuge. I'll go back and check my notes real quick. Yes, uh, Numbers was the cities of refuge and the laws that God gave Moses to give to Israel. Well, now we see in Joshua 20 the cities of refuge actually established officially. Uh, the cities for the Levites is uh, mentioned in Joshua 21. This becomes important when David is fleeing from Saul. And David comes to one of these cities uh, for the Levites where the priests live. That's who these cities were for, were for the priests, for the Levites. And... While he was there, they help him, not knowing he's a refugee from the king, but probably would have helped him anyways. And then Saul comes along and finds out that they helped David, and he has Doeg just murder all the people in the entire city. And so it's, a, it's quite a bloody day, uh, but that is important because the fact that it's a city for Levites is mentioned here in Joshua 21. Uh, the command to the two and a half tribes to return home uh, and construction of the altar uh, as a witness is Joshua 22. 
And then we have in chapters 23 and chapter 24, or the last message of Joshua. And uh, chapter 23 is the call to the leaders of Israel for courage and certainty. And this is where he's saying, finish the work I started. Uh, you know, I'm fixing to pass away. I'm fixing to, to be in the presence of the Lord. But when I go, you guys need to continue the work, right? You need to continue driving out all the Canaanites and all the, the rest of the ites and all of the inhabitants of the land. Get them completely out. Don't leave the job unfinished or it will haunt every generation of Israelite from now until the end of time. Do not leave them in the land. And then in chapter 24, we see a call to all the tribes of Israel uh, for consecration and consideration of the covenant with God. In other words, this is that famous verse you see where it says, uh, if it seemed good unto you to serve the Lord, choose you whether or not you will do. But as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. That famous verse is there in Joshua 24. And also we see at the end of Joshua 24 is, of course, the death of Joshua. So that is the outline of the book of Joshua. The key word for Joshua is the word possession. And it's about possessing all that God has for you. The potential of the Christian in his life, if we will just obey the Lord and not give up halfway through because oh, we made some mistake somewhere down the road. It's not actually happening. You know, the Lord's not actually going to give this to me. So we give up on doing what the Lord wanted us to do before we make it there. And the Lord had all these blessings waiting for us if we'd have just gotten to the place he wanted us to at the time he wanted us to. Imagine how long it took Caleb to finally get his mountain. It didn't, he didn't get it the next day after being faithful. He wasn't a good spy. He woke up the next day and God said, hey, here's your mountain. No, it took years and decades for him to get that mountain. It takes a lot of patience. Possessing all that God has for us is long, hard work, but it is worth it. Uh, the key verse we can go look at real quick. Um, let me pull this up. Is in the book of Joshua, chapter number 1. So very early on in the book of Joshua, chapter 1 and verse 8, which says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, and that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. If you want to live the victorious Christian life, this is what you do. Do not let this book the Word of God, the Bible, depart out of your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Observe to do all that is written there. And that doesn't mean you have to be super spiritual and say the word God or Jesus, you know, 200 times in a day or you failed as a Christian. No, it means that His Word, His law should be constantly on your mind. So when you go to choose your words, you can choose them carefully. You can choose the words that God would want you to say. You can choose to do the things that God would want you to do. You're living your life, but you're doing it with God and his word on your mind. Uh, you can allow God and his word to be your gauge, your guide through life, through his word and through his Holy Spirit. That's what uh, this key verse is really all about. It's what Joshua learns through his time as a leader. If we'll follow the Lord, we'll follow his word then the prosperity that comes in the Christian life will come as a result. Special features in this book is that Joshua leads into Canaan. 
the faith of Rahab, which we've talked about, the two memorials, which we've also talked about, uh, the campaigns of Joshua uh, and the, the military strategy and how that impacted history. Uh, that's all very amazing to me, broken up into the three parts which we have discussed, the Central Campaign, the Southern Campaign, uh, and the Northern Campaign, or the Northern, then the Southern. And then the fifth special feature we've talked about a couple of times now is Caleb's Mountain. Uh, then we close out today by looking at Christ in the book. And this is really the big so what, right? This is why we study these books. It's important for us to be able to apply, apply word, the word of God to our life. But it's also important to be able to, to see Christ everywhere we go and in everything we do. And especially in his word. Uh, imagine you're one of the disciples on the road to Emmaus and Jesus has come up behind you, but you don't know it's him yet. The Bible says that those two disciples, he began to, beginning at the very beginning, went all the way through the Old Testament and revealed himself to them in ways they'd never even thought possible. When he left, they said about his lessons, did not our hearts burn within us while he walked with us along the way? That's how special and amazing and important finding Christ in these books is. That's what it can do for you. It can strengthen you emotionally and physically and spiritually. So let's jump into it. Christ in the book, first of all, in the name Joshua, we've talked about Jehovah is salvation. That's one of the times you can find the name uh, Christ in the book because Joshua in the Old Testament is Jesus in the New Testament. It's the same name. The second Christ in the book is uh, the captain of the host. Literally, Jesus shows up in this book. I mean, not even symbolically, just literally he shows up right before, the night before they're about to march on Jericho. And Joshua rises up early in the morning and he goes apart and the captain of the host is what the book of Joshua calls him, but it is literally Jesus uh, there. And it's a wonderful story. It's a Christophany is what it's called. And a Christophany is just a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. It's basically Jesus before he was born and yet he's still showing up. You say, how is that possible if he's showing up before he was born? Don't forget, he's God, right? So God the Son always existed but he didn't take human form until the Christmas story. Uh, the third is the scarlet cord that Rahab drops out of her window. right? They, they climb out through the scarlet cord. The scarlet cord is what she hangs out of her window when they go to conquer Jericho. So just before the walls come tumbling down, uh, they send a battalion of soldiers into the city to take Rahab and everybody who's in her house out safely and become part of the nation of Israel. And what's important about that is Rahab truly had a Christian's heart because her house was full of people she was trying to rescue from this uh, from this dark day. A people who had chosen to place their faith in the God of these Hebrews and wanted to be become a part of the nation of Israel. And so that scarlet cord hung out of her window as a symbol that that's the house you go to and those are the people you rescue. And that scarlet cord uh, is a picture of salvation in Jesus. Uh, when we choose to place our faith in him, uh, that's our scarlet cord. You can see that scarlet cord sort of run all through the Bible. It's an amazing thing. Um, she was not only a symbol of the salvation of the Lord, 
But the harlot Rahab was placed directly in the bloodline of Jesus. Now, you can't tell me that her story is not significant because what she did meant enough to God to make her part of the family tree of Jesus himself. Right? So the harlot Rahab becomes a part of the bloodline of Christ. Uh, this is a, a huge, amazing thing to see Jesus all through the book of Joshua, not just in the actions that take place and the, the studying, which is, which is fun to dive into some of these things. But to find Jesus in the book, that's the real reason you read the Bible. And hopefully, I've helped you discover the Lord in a few places you didn't know he existed. And I want to thank you guys so much for listening this time, and we will see you next week. Bye.